Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, my name's Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. At the start of the very first lockdown, I was seeing so many of my constituents who were losing loved ones to COVID-19 without a chance to say goodbye. Women putting their husbands into ambulances and never seeing them again. It got me thinking about what I would say to my husband and kids if I never got a chance to tell them how much I loved them. So I wrote them each a letter and I still keep it in a safe place. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both a good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words on paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. In this episode, the Reverend Canon Kate Botley is imagining her three Yours Sincerely letters. Reverend Kate Botley is a Church of England priest in North Nottinghamshire, as well as a journalist and presenter. She rose to fame on Gogglebox. She's written for publications like The Guardian and regularly presents shows like Songs of Praise, The One Show and The Sunday Morning Live. Kate is passionate about her faith, her family and outdoor swimming, to the point where she completed 365 outdoor swims in 2019. And today, I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. Hello, Kate. How are you doing? Hello, my lovely. I'm really well. Yeah, well, you know, fair to middling after the last 18 months or so. You know, it's uh, it's been a journey, hasn't it? Yeah, my, my husband keeps saying that you can just discount the COVID year, so I'm only 38. Uh, <laughs> it has been a journey. So we're here to talk about letters and letter writing. I am a prolific letter writer, both politically and in my personal life. In fact, I have this thing that happens to me all the time where politicians, is obviously where I get it from, say, oh, your dad sent me a letter today. And I think, oh, God, what's he said? <laughs> what has he said? So are you a bit of a letter writer? I am a letter writer, yeah. I mean, I'm. I have to confess that they're not usually sort of lengthy bits of paper. They're usually just a postcard or something popped in the post. But I've got five brilliant godchildren. The thing is, when you're a bit religious, is people ask you to be a godparent. You see, so you collect them, and people are like, oh yes, she's a vicar. We'll ask her. So I've got five godchildren that I endeavour to keep in touch with. In fact, for Lent a couple of years ago, I wrote to every godchild every day of Lent. So forty days five letters a day that is ridiculous undertaking and it was one of those things that like, actually the letter bit was fine it was being bothered to put a stamp on and walk to a post box but that was what took the effort every single day my son recently had to write a thank you card for his auntie in sheffield not his real auntie you understand just a friend of his well yeah i'm from sheffield we have those kind of aunties <laughs> so yeah you know it's, that is just the working class everybody is your auntie yeah yeah so he he sent it but he didn't put a stamp on it and so she sent this brilliant letter back that was really really long about the postal service <laughs> educating him on the postal service because she'd had to pay for the letter well i had to throw myself on the mercy of the postal service the other day because i 
left a pile of cards on the side letters that I'd written to the godchildren I'd left a note to my husband saying please post the postcards but one of the letters didn't have a stamp on and didn't have an address on and also had my godson's 18th birthday birthday money in it so we weren't posting that one I was going to drop it around at his house because he only lives two streets away guess what happened they all went in the box because I said post the letters so they all went in but yeah I love writing letters and I also write quite often to people that if I see something on the news or something on social media that I think actually that's a great story I will write to the person and thank them if they've rescued the puppy from the ocean or whatever it is they've done I'll sometimes drop a letter in the post and encourage people you know if someone's getting a hard time in the public eye I'll sometimes write a letter with a stamp on it just as a sort of you know I've got you sort of thing it is lovely receiving those sorts of letters it's a real kindness that sort of thing you and I get a fair few green ink letters as, as yeah. they're called yeah. don't we right <laughs> you know where I mean I, I remember when I first did um I came to sort of fame if you want to call it that word we don't like the f word but we'll say it anyway I came to fame after a flash mob I did for a wedding that went viral and it got 10 million hits on YouTube and I just wasn't braced for it at all and of course because I'm a vicar my address is fairly public or it was then and um, I just wasn't ready for this kind of barrier of projection of hate onto me and everything everybody was angry at in fact one person even wrote to me about the Church of England pension scheme and how angry they were about that and somehow this was my responsibility I've no idea why I even got Cliff Richard's birthday cards got sent to me because you know I'm a Christian, so I must know Cliff Richard, right? <laughs> oh, so I get stuff it's for the Queen. Weird, do I you get, get stuff for the Queen? I get stuff for the you Queen. You must know her, right? You you must know her. You, you work in a palace. You you must know the Queen. <laughs> so, but also she's got a very widely available address. So you could just send it to her. <laughs> I do get a lot of messages. If you could mention to somebody in Parliament, could you just pass this on? And I just think, oh my gosh, why are you writing to me in the canteen? By the way, here you are. <laughs> I've got this for you. <laughs> Malcolm in Dewsbury thinks yeah, you shouldn't says. wear your hair like that. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is about those letters is actually they're, they're quite sweet because, you know, these days we get people just shouting at us on social media, right? Yeah. Or saying nice things on social media. And so when the letters come through, they definitely fall into two camps. They're either people who are really, really happy and have taken the time to write or people who are really, really not happy and taken the time to write. And the level of anger... Ridiculous. ...and misogyny and all sorts of stuff that gets projected. So you just... What I, what I try and do now is when I get those letters is try and hold them the same and you know try and go well you know these are just people trying to process something that they feel able to sort of give me and go you know you hold this for a bit so I just go okay yeah. I'll just hold your bags for you and I tend You're to nice. pray from no I'm you. not I'm not because I'm saying that but actually in my head I'm going you so I've learned to enjoy hate mail I have to say maybe as a part of this podcast maybe I'll I'll read out one of my most choice hate mails from the week that's probably why you do your job and I do mine though eh I find uh, you have to find some amusement in it otherwise it will drive you absolutely mad so do you have any letters special letters from the past that you have kept yeah I do I have a it's not it wasn't a letter that came through the mail it was a note that somebody slipped onto my tr- I was in I was in a cafe Marks and Spencer's cafe and a cup of tea with my mum and my mum was doing that thing that she does because she's got a daughter who's on the telly sometimes and she's doing that looking around seeing who's looking like that yes it is her yes it is her like that like my mother does um and this woman just walked past the end of the table and she put a note on our tray and then walked off and I thought oh no going to be one of them isn't it I think you're dreadful and I opened it and it was just it's making me a bit teary now and I keep it in my wallet and it just it said thank you for your Sunday morning radio show my husband died a few weeks ago and I've been able to sleep so I've been listening to early morning radio and you've really helped me and I've kept that letter and whenever the little monkeys are on my shoulder you know telling me that faffing about on radio and telly isn't proper vickering or you know that sort of nonsense I open that letter and I go actually this is just as much part of my ministry as you know any of the other bits that I get to do I mean absolutely Uh, we're constantly told as women that having a platform is somehow a deficit on us that we're not doing proper work it's not proper politics to be talking to people it's not you know proper religion and proper preaching unless you're doing it in an old-fashioned way and it's just a way to try and silence you so that woman's letter and I still don't know who she was and she didn't put a name on it she just slipped it onto my tray and and just walked off and it was just such a gentle affirmation it wasn't it wasn't my mother looking around going yes it is eh?" you know it was just a really quiet (laughs) keep going it's one of those things that I really love I love that letter it's in my purse it's in my wallet oh that is so (laughs) lovely 
So this podcast is all about writing letters that celebrate the people who matter to us. And, you know, I'm constantly aware that, and especially you must see this all the time in your job, that people say things when people are gone. Or we have a couple of moments in our lives, like, I, I really want to get remarried. Not because I don't like my husband, I really do like him. But um, I'd like to get remarried because there are friends who've come along in my life in the last 20 years and I'd like an opportunity to make a speech and celebrate them. Just do it anyway. And I could just make a point of order in the House of Commons. It's point of order, Mr Speaker. I've always said that I'm probably going to have my wake and my funeral before I die because what's the point in all those people saying all those nice things? And also, if I'm not there to hear them, but also there's so many people diverse in my life that I've never had in one room. Like we were talking about my godchildren, I've never had all five of my godchildren because they're from different parts of my life never had them in all in the same room all at the same time and i'd really love that to happen so i'm with you all the way so it's that thing where you get to say something about somebody that means the world to you so starting with the first letter that you would write to somebody who means the world to you who would you send that first letter to well i'm already cheating because i'm sending it to three people in one so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to allow me i mean i know desert island discs is really strict but i'm hoping you're not as strict as they are (laughs) i'm definitely not as strict and also you know you've got that whole trifecta in Christianity yeah yeah, yes it's a trinity thing all right well just dress it up as a trinity thing um so it's to my uh it's to my three rugby girls I used to play rugby when I was at university and like lots of girls who do PE was led to believe that I wasn't particularly sporty and you know what I'm not particularly sporty but I really like a group of enthusiastic people you know there are groups of enthusiastic people I don't love but generally speaking people are enthusiastic I enjoy and um I remember joining up for the rugby team, not really understanding what rugby was or the rules of anything, but I thought it sounded like a laugh. And so I joined up and these three women, Joe Robbo, Kate Fitz and Tony Abella, transformed my understanding of myself, of other women. And they are the most important female friendship that I have. And I want to write to them because they also symbolise all the other really important female friendships that I've had through my life. Those sisters that have just got you back, those women that see you when you don't see yourself, love you when you don't love yourself, pick you up, uh, take the mickey out of you remorselessly, we'll get you in a taxi when you need to get in a taxi and go home and we'll say you've had enough, get yourself off. They know where the bodies are buried, they know all the secrets and they still love me anyway and they are just the most fantastic bunch of women and we met when we were 18 years old and they are symbolic of lots of female friendships that I've had through my life. I mean, we haven't seen each other for ages now because of, you know, lockdown and so Mm. on. But we always just pick up where we left off. So that was Joe, Tony and... Joe, Tony and Kate. Two Kates. Two Kates. My very close friendship group of girls has two Jesses and two Amys and it's just a nightmare. (laughs) Tonight, they're the sort of women that you know i could phone them now and say i need you and they go right well i'm there there's no question that they've got my back at every available opportunity and i'm so grateful for them and we joke that you know because we're getting to a certain age now you, you know we're women in our 40s and 50s we've been together a long time so we start to joke about you know who's going to go first we start to laugh about that because we're quite i have to say if you could overhear us in conversation you would be absolutely well you wouldn't be horrified but lots of people go she's a vicar really i mean we're awful sometimes we'll be texting each other and i'll start doing this really dirty laugh and graham will go my husband will go rugby girls and I'll go yeah and I'll he'll go what they say and I'll go it's best you don't know it it only upset you you know because it's just awful we record the laughs on whatsapp and we send each other <laughs> dirty laughing I love that on whatsapp into the whatsapp group I they knew me before I was married. They knew me before I was ordained. They knew me before I was on the telly box. They knew me before all of that stuff. And the other thing is, when you do um, something that's got a public profile, sometimes the friendships can get a bit weird. Old friendships get a bit weird when you do start doing stuff in the public eye, I think. So there are friendships that I had before I was on telly box and doing what I do that have not really survived in the same way. But this one's got stronger. They are just ecstatic and pleased for me and just joyous in all the, and I do it in inverted commas, success that they've seen me have, whatever yeah. success means. I think that comes of age though, doesn't it? That that in friendship, that comes of age where you stop feeling like somebody's in front of you or getting more than you. Why haven't I got kids yet? Why haven't, why has she got a better job? It comes of age where you just are happy that the people in your life are happy and you start to you know even if they get something that you might have really wanted you just go I'm really glad they got that I'm really glad that they got something that was really brilliant and I don't think we make anywhere near enough 
of female friendships. We spend our whole lives talking about how a network of men, for example, are, you know, we've got, we can't network with men. They're all doing everything on the golf course and women can't get in. And I just think it's absolutely rubbish because the best networks in the world, I think, are female friendships. And we don't know how to put it into words somehow. We don't know how to say, you know, if I needed a casserole, I want to be on my doorstep by the end of the day. And if my kids need picking up, they will walk out of work and go and get my kids for me. It's all these small actions that women's friendship does to keep women going and no matter that we might get you know be more likely to be murdered in our homes and we get paid less and you know we have to pay more for pink razors than they pay for blue ones (laughs) I still think it's better to be a woman because of what you just described and there's that thing of once I'd stop buying into the narrative that I have to be in competition with other women once I'd park that it transformed so many of my friendships. I was having a massive issue with jealousy with one of my female clergy friends, a girl called Anna, who is everything I'm not. She's six foot tall, leggy, skinny, you know, unbelievable. Like she walks in a room and everybody turns. She's one of those kind of people. And I was really struggling with jealousy, good old fashioned green eyed monster jealousy. And the narrative, we were in the same church, actually. I was the curate and she was one of the workers in the church. And so we were in the same workplace and it was you know this town's not big enough for the both of us and people kept going oh well Anna did this like this and people do it they sort of play you off against each other and it was almost like this church isn't big enough for two I went to see her and I said I'm having this real problem with this let's talk it through and we talked it through and we had a we had a bit of a shout at each other and we had a bit of a cry at each other and now it's just once we got rid of all that patriarchy that other people had, and society and history and misogyny had attached to what the narrative is between two women once we'd parked all that just this most beautiful friendship blossomed out of it. It was so gorgeous. So my female friendships and this letter I'm writing to my three girls, my three rugby girls, is symbolic of all that. It's symbolic of my swim sisters that I've got cold water swimming with, that have dressed me when I haven't been able to dress myself because I couldn't string a sentence together because I've just been in ice. It's symbolic of Anna, who I dealt with that big jealousy issue and other female clergy. And it, it is the rugby girls that literally when a scrum collapsed on me pulled other people off me to get to get to the bottom to go you all right and I went and they went up you get then have you told them how much they mean to you yeah I wrote to them during lockdown oh you did you wrote them during lockdown that is why I'm doing this because I got really really upset over lockdown that the people I loved I, I might never see them again and so yeah so what did you say to them in your letter well I I got a piece of paper and a, I got my nice ink pen out you know the one that you save for best I got my car, nice cartridge <laughs> pen out and my nice paper because I've got a writing box I have a it's an old picnic camper and it's got all my writing paper in and my stamps and my envelopes and all that sort of stuff you're taking letter writing to the next level is all I'm going to say Kate I mean I have a proper I have a proper like thing that I sit down and I write my letters I just love it because I love getting letters so I love giving them and I sat and I wrote and I just wrote what I've just said about their friendship and about how it is the most important in my life we joke that when when we eventually die we're going to carry each other's coffins in which is hilarious because Kate Fitz and Joe Robber are six foot two and Tony Abella's five foot three so I'll be on a slant like that my feet will slide to the bottom at box and just that they are the most important friendship of my life and they have taught me more about myself than I could ever learn from anywhere else that they sustain me that they mold me that they shape me that they catch myself they help me to catch myself on as they say mm. you know when I'm having when I've got ideas too big for boots or I'm sounding like a complete prat you know they won't put away any celeb or showbiz nonsense the thing is for me is they're always happy for me if something goes right they're really happy for me Without any baggage. My friends have this rule where I get fa- a number of fancy mentions in one evening. You can say five <laughs> fancy mentions about people you've met or things you've done. And yeah. after that, we're basically going to smack you around the face. Like, Mango, right, okay, whose phone, num- who's phone number you got on your phone? And yeah. should we text? And I go, well, we could text Dermot O'Leary if you wanted. Do you want to do that? And they go, ooh. Well, <laughs> one of my very best friends, Alex, she is. Uh, she works in sort of theatre and show busy stuff. And so her phone is as good as mine. And one time, very, very drunkenly, we did text Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't text him, like, pictures of you? No, good Lord. I spend all day telling people not to send intimate images. (laughs) It's just 
like that's why actually we're going away the me and the rugby girls have got a reunion weekend planned obviously enough you know because we're allowed to now do some stuff together so um we do have a no phones rule no social media no phones rule <laughs> That is absolutely important that that uh, I'm always like, don't put this on social media. Don't do that. I can ruin myself. I don't need them to ruin me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. Don't worry. I've got a big enough mouth all by myself. (laughs) So for each of the people that we talk about, I'm going to ask you to tell me how you would sign off your letter. The words that you'd bring together in writing that final paragraph. So how would you sign off the letter to Joe, Tony and Kate? You three represent my greatest female friendship, sisters who have encouraged me to find my place and find my voice and speak loudly, even if my voice shakes. You know me even when I don't know myself. I've laughed so hard and so enthusiastically with you that I was in danger of losing control of my bodily functions. And if I did, I know you would have cleared up the mess. Thank you for your friendship. And thank you that every time we see each other, we get to pick up just where we left off. Mostly taking the mick out of one another. I love you, Steve-o. Oh, so lovely. I feel a little bit tearful. <laughs> I cried right in it. Are you kidding me? I was in bits. I know. I mean, it is hard, actually. It is hard. It, that's nice. You cry happy tears. It is hard. Well, it's connection, isn't it? It's what being human's about. It's about making connection with yourself, making connection with other humans, and making connection with something bigger than you, something that's universal, you know, love, power, God, whatever you want to call it. And for me, that's actually what, is the meaning of life is connection well yeah you see i think that i'm not a religious person kate i um was raised by basically communists communists who were at one time altar boys and girls but who <laughs> grew into communism and they weren't communists of course but not not far off and to me i suppose it's not that i don't have faith i'm absolutely full of faith i've got faith in bag loads but it is the people where I find my higher power my faith I'm stunned by the people that I get to meet I'm absolutely bowled over that they could exist humans are brilliant huh yeah yeah (laughs) some of them are absolutely cracking and they're amazing and I'm like you don't know how amazing you are my god you're brilliant Right, so on to the second letter. So I have asked you to prepare. Now this, if previously isn't a sort of tearjerker, which in your case it was, (laughs) is a letter to someone who's no longer around. Now obviously that doesn't have to be somebody who's died or it could be somebody, you know, you just don't see anymore. So who is your second letter to? Well, you were talking about upbringing just there and talking about how you were brought up. I wasn't brought up religious at all I mean we were christened as babies but you know we didn't go to church ever we didn't even go at Christmas or Easter that was you know that was a posh thing that posh people did so we didn't go to church our fingernails weren't clean enough for church and we didn't have nice enough shoes so we didn't really go there and so I started going to church because I saw a boy at school that I liked the look of right and I said to my friend Katie who's he and my friend Katie said, he's the vicar's son, the son of the vicar. He's literally the son of a preacher, man. He's the son of a preacher, man. And I said, I think I might start going to church. And she said, I go to church. I go to that church where his dad's a vicar. Do you want to come? So I said, yes. So my friend Katie took me along to church. I went for a snog and I came away with a dog collar. This was not what I had planned at all. The most difficult conversation in my entire life was to go home to my parents and tell them I'd started to believe in God. They thought I'd joined a cult and I had to reassure them it was just the Church of England. It was probably going to be fine. You know, they, they were like, oh, my word, our Katie's got religion. You know, it was just like it was like the worst thing that's ever happened. I mean, they've got their head around it now and it's all fine now. And now whenever there's a family funeral or a family wedding or whatever, it's, oh, our Katie will do you a deal. She'll do you a good deal on that. You know, what for our Katie, she'll know. So we, yeah, it was a shock to me. And what happened was I started going out with the vicar's son. Just like the Canadian Mounties, I always get my man. So I started going out with the vicar's son and we've been married 23 years. We've been together for 30 years. So we started going out when I was about 18. We had a couple of dodgy years while I was at university. Who doesn't? Uh, no. And what was it? What was it? Bill Clinton said a normal university experience was what I had. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we've been together for a long time. But when I was at university, my father-in-law, as he would have been, sadly died in his 50s and he was a kidney patient uh, waiting for a transplant got his transplant caught an infection and and died and me and Graham were going out at the time but like I said we were you know I was away at uni he was working it was a long distance relationship we were officially going out but you know and it really formed us his death 
really cemented our relationship for one another. And I remember his mum asking me to sit on the front pew at the funeral at 19 years old for the funeral of my boyfriend's dad. It struck me that I was in deeper than I thought I was in this relationship. And it was one of those moments where you think, oh, actually, it's time to, what's the phrase, poop or get off the pot, really. It was uh, it was one of those moments. And the thing is about David Botley, he died the year after women were ordained into the priesthood into the Church of England. The news came through that women were going to be ordained. 11 months later, David was dead. And he'd always joked that there'd be another Reverend Botley. He'd always had, you know, because he'd got two sons and a daughter and he'd always looked at the boys and gone, oh, one of you is going to end up getting ordained. One of you, oh, there's going to be another Reverend Botley before end of closer play. There's all, uh, mark my words, there'll be another Reverend Botley. But of course, we didn't think that it would be me. No inkling that that would be the path that I would end up on. And it makes me really sad, not just that he didn't get to see that, but he didn't get to see his grandchildren. And we're fast approaching the age that he was. And there's something about that, isn't there? When you start to reach those ages that the people you love died at, that you suddenly go, oh, crumbs. What does that, how does that feel? Because when he died at 53, he seemed like an old man. Mm. But of course, he. now I'm 46, that doesn't <laughs> seem like an old man at all. You know? <laughs> you know, I do funerals a lot for people that I love. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing to do funerals for people that you know and love. And there's a real sadness for me that, obviously, I was only 19 at the time, so it wasn't an option for me to do that for him. But I kind of want to go, can you see? Can you see? Look at my collar. Can you see? I'm one too. Correct me if I'm wrong. And, uh, uh, you know, I I definitely need uh, religious education. (laughs) Don't you believe that he can see you? And no. Do you know, I hope he's having far too good a time to bother, really. (laughs) So my mum said, I don't know, I'm not sure about heaven. What if I don't know anyone? I just kind of hope that he's having far too good a time. You know, and I say that a lot to the people that I visit who are dying, which is obviously part of my job. You know, and you go and visit people and, and you know, there were no atheists on Titanic. All of a sudden people seem to want to see a priest. And so you go along and they go, I don't know what I believe. And I go, no, neither do I most of the time. <laughs> Try not to worry about it. That's why it's called faith and not sure. And they go, what, you doubt? Every day, every single day, I wake up and go, what if this is just a load of nonsense? It's a bedrock and salvation of my entire existence. But at the same time, it could all be wrong, right? Could all be wrong. I mean, it could all be wrong. But I like to think that, you know, and also when you say you'd hope he's having a a good time, I think that if I could see my family and watch them, that it would be like watching Love Island. That is the thing that I would tune into <laughs> if I was in the hereafter. Shouting, what's she done to her lips? What's she done like, to her lips? That top is no friend of yours. <laughs> Take it off. I'd, I'd, <laughs> and this is what I do when I go and visit people who are dying, you know, and I hold the hand and I pray with them and I say, what do you want to... Because sometimes they want to tell you something and often the first words out of their mouth are, <laughs> I'm not really religious, but... And I'll go, it's okay. So Now's not the time for us to discuss all this. It's fine. And I'll always say to them when I leave, will you save me a seat? Will you save me a seat? Because you're going to get there before me, right? So will you save me a seat? So, you know, it's that idea that I do believe in another consciousness. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what the details are. I believe that it's better than, even better than this, which, you know, life can be blooming lovely, can't it? But it makes me sad that he didn't get to see my ordination, that he didn't get to see the mess that I've made of things and that the wisdom was taken that, you know, because he'd walked that path before me to ordination, to being a priest. And... I would have just liked to pick his brains, really. Come on, tell me what I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the inside, Jen. Also, like, disagree with him on things and yeah. like, wrestle yeah, yeah, those yeah. things together on a similar path. I don't really know what he made of women. I know he's, he was fairly conservative in his views with a small C, so I don't know what he made of women's ordination. I don't quite know if he got his head around it, so I don't know what he'd think. Perhaps he'll be waiting there with a, a to go, well, goodness me, I'm not happy about this. <laughs> I like to think if he is watch- if he is there and he's watching and he knows, I like to think that even if he was against it in the beginning, maybe he's been convinced by now because... Well, that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't meet many people who are against women in the Church of England anymore. I met, actually, I buried a guy weeks ago, months ago, it might be months now, a few months ago, I buried a guy a few months ago. He was dead. He, I didn't just bury him, <laughs> by the way. Um, and he would like that joke, so I don't think I'm being rude. A really good friend of mine called Dave, who I absolutely love to bits, older gentleman, and I was his vicar for a little while. 
And um, after about a month of being his vicar, he'd sort of been looking at me from a distance and he sidled up to me and went, can I have a word? And I thought, oh no, what have I done? You know, like you do. Oh no, what have I done? And he said, "Um, I need to tell you that when I heard we were getting a woman priest, I was very angry and very against the idea. And I went, oh, okay, Dave, I didn't know that. I'm really sorry. And he went, and I also need to tell you, I was a bloody fool. And then just walked off. And I was like, that's just lovely. That is lovely. And it's an experience I have as well. I've had constituents say, I know that we were going to get be getting a lady one. A lady one. One of those lady MPs. <laughs> one of those lady ones. And you know what? You've been all right. <laughs> You're all right, you. I, I like it when they call me a vicarette, which I, make, I think makes it sound like a nicotine patch. Cigarette, yeah, it does sound <laughs> like a cigarette. Uh, I think that if he can see you, that he is watching you and he's not doing anything and that is his fun. And Because my husband, he works for a, a company that makes sort of virtual reality spaces. We have a virtual reality thing in our house. So you can go on Google Maps in virtual reality and you can go anywhere in the world. You can walk Whoa! the Andes. You can walk the Andes. You can you can literally go to Kilimanjaro. You can go on safari. You can do anything. And do you know what every single person who puts it on does? Go on. Go and look at their house. <laughs> of course they do. They can't look at the place where they live. Because <laughs> why wouldn't they? They go, they go, oh look, the, the car's on the drive. And you're like... Yeah. Oh, look, there's the cat on the patio. You like, can go and look at the Andes. You're never going to the Andes. But everybody, <laughs> sometimes people do it in my house. My, like, I've watched people do it in my house. And I'm like, you're literally looking at the thing you could walk outside. <laughs> and look at. That's you just hilarious. saw it as you came into the house. But that so is because funny. people have a homing instinct. So I I think that if he is watching... I hope that don't leave us then. I see a lot of people that leave things unsaid mm. with people that they love when they're coming to the end of their life. I see a lot of letters that go in a lot of coffins. I don't read them, obviously, unless I'm asked to. But a lot of those things... And you know, and a lot of the time when people read out things in a eulogy or a poem at the funeral, it, it is their last letter to their loved one. You know, and those things are the things that... I didn't, because of the way he died and because when he died, I didn't get a chance to say to mm. him and I would have liked that. Oh, so how would you sign off the letter to him? David, a lot has happened since we last saw each other. You wouldn't believe how much. And you know how you always used to say there's going to be another Reverend Botley? Well, there is, but it isn't Graham, it's me. The ordination of women happened just a few months before you died and I know you were pretty traditional, so I'm not sure what you'd think, but I hope you'd be very proud that there's another Reverend Botley in the world. So from one Reverend Botley to another, thank you for your prayers and your presence, your wit and your wisdom that live on through your son, your grandson and your granddaughter. And would you save me a seat for when I get there? Love, Kate. Oh, it's so lovely. I think he's convinced. I think he's convinced. I'll persuade him when I get there, if not. Do you think that there will be another one? Another, another Reverend, Reverend Botley? Oh, gosh. If there is, I think the Church of England will be a pile of smoking rubble the next morning, probably, and, and probably would do better for it. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad thing, necessarily. I have to say, when they wouldn't let women be bishops, obviously I deal with the bishops a lot. The bishops work yeah. where I work. Yeah, of course. Um, and, I, I, you know, I have to say, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about a theocracy being part of our democracy. Of course. However... I rely on a bishop more often than not. I rely on the bishops a lot. They are some cracking people. And their politics are usually pretty um, pretty right on. <laughs> the uh, the Bishop of Gloucester, I mean... She oh, Rachel. I, Rachel's a yeah. star. She she and I, we went, we waded out on migrant women's rights and she was, and it's much better coming from her yes. because she's like a reasonable person who's calm, whereas I'm like shouting and screaming and calling everybody names. I feel exactly the same about the bishops in the House of Lords. I'm like, I'm not sure we're there anymore as a society to have bishops in the House of Lords, but then they do things like that and I go, oh yeah, that's why they're there, isn't it? Because... Because they're able to say things that other people aren't saying. By and large, social justice... Because there was a bloke who was quite big on social justice, beard, sandals, <laughs> first century Middle East. He was quite a nice guy, I think. Son of Mary. He was quite big on social justice. I went to a Catholic school earlier. There was a like a window a thing of the Virgin Mary, but it was like interpretive. And I was like, oh, who's that? And these kids looked at me and they were like, it's the Virgin Mary. I was like... It's our lady. <laughs> <laughs> She's quite fundamental. Oh dear. Anyway, so your choices have been amazing so far, Kate. Um, and we will be back to hear your final letter after a short break. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Before the break, we talked about the letter you would send to someone who means the world to you and the letter that you would send to someone who's no longer around. The final letter is the letter you would send to somebody who might not know just how significant a role they've played in your life. So who would you share your gratitude for who might not know about it? Well, when I was little, I know this is really hard to believe, but you're going to have to go with this one. I was very, very shy. I was the kind of kid that hid behind her mother's skirts, literally and metaphorically, would not talk to anybody. And I was brought up in a household where mostly the blokes and the women existed separately. You know, they came together at the working men's club, to, but the men went and played snooker and the women sat played bingo and they existed largely separately. And I became a bit of a mouse child. I sat with the women and was a bit of a mouse child and I remember being quite quiet. And um, my mum had a job at for Sheffield City Council cleaning. She was a cleaner. She was a school dinner lady. She did the lollipop. She covered for the lollipop lady. She did all those kind of jobs. She left for school at 14, my mum, unable to read and write. She can read better now, but she's still not full literacy. So she did the cleaning jobs. Anyway, one of the cleaning jobs that she did was for a youth theatre. It was the heady days of the 1980s. It was socialist Sheffield. The, there was money for things like youth theatres run by the council. Um, and the youth theatre that my mum cleaned for was a very post-1970s hippie youth theatre. So it was all very tie-dye, it was all very patchouli, people were barefoot, they were all vegans. And my mum would go in with her pledge and her bleach doing the toilets, that's what she did. And she got talking to them and they'd go, would you like an Earl Grey tea, Margaret? Like that, And she'd go, oh no, love, I'll have a cup of PG tips, you know, it was that kind of thing. So my mum didn't really fit, but because it was the, because it was around Greenham Common and it was socialist Sheffield, they were very inclusive and they wanted to draw her into their community, even though, you know, on paper they didn't really have a lot in common. So my mum said, I've got a daughter who's really shy. Would you take her on at the youth theatre? And they said, yeah, of course we would, sort of thing. So off I was sent to this youth theatre where my mum cleaned the toilets. And the youth theatre took kids from about 12, 13. But because I was the daughter of the cleaner, they took me at 11. And we only did Shakespeare and Chaucer and classics, right? (laughs) And all the other kids came from all round Sheffield. But I lived on the doorstep of this place. And they put me in a practice skirt made out of a curtain took me into the middle of the park where all my mates were stood on the on sat on the swings and made me do tai chi 
and breathing exercises and yoga and medieval Latin chant singing and all sorts of weird, weird stuff that I would never have ever got anywhere near. And the person who ran the youth theatre was a woman called Meg Jepson. And she was the drama advisor for the county council. And she also ran this youth theatre. And it was it's amazing that she was paid to do that by the council. She was paid to provide this service. It was free. It's, in, it's insane now, but we didn't think anything of it. We didn't think anything of it. And they gave her this old school, this old Victorian school, and said, there you go, there's your theatre, you go. And so I, I turned up and uh, we were doing The Tempest, William Shakespeare's The Tempest, and I got cast as Ariel in The Tempest. But Meg had this thing where you didn't just learn your own part, you learn everybody's part in the play. And so that sometimes on opening night, before the curtain went up, she'd go, oh, by the way, you're not Ariel tonight, you're Prospero. And you would have to just go on and be Prospero. And that's what you would do at the age of 11 on the main stage of the Crucible. And at the time, it just didn't occur to me that this was a massive thing. And I blossomed. We did Beowulf in Old English. You know, we did Chaucer in the original, in Chaucer's English. We did Shakespeare. We did all this stuff. It was all free. I learned how to do fencing. I learned grade one fencing and stage fighting and all sorts of things. But she also used to make us clean the space as well before we used it. So there's my mum cleaning toilets and there's us cleaning toilets after her, even though they didn't need clean. She's going, what are you saying about my job? Have I not done a good enough job? No, mum, it's just we have to clean the work area before we can work in it. You know, it was all very zen. Everybody was equal. We used to sit down and talk about our feelings, all that sort of stuff. And I used to open, I remember I used to open my lunchbox and all the other kids would have like, you know, hummus and beetroot salad and homemade things. And I'd have my dairy triangle and my packet of crisp and penguin biscuit. And it was just like, um, Kate, you might want to think about the toxins that you're putting in your body. Here, have some lentils. And it was all very like that, very right on. But Meg was a woman that just took everybody exactly as they were. And she taught me how to act, how to present myself, how to stand up and speak with confidence, how to... Um, find that voice literally metaphorically find my voice uh, she encouraged me to sing in front of people I'm an awful singer but she sat there and listened to me sing um and she taught me how to dance and we learned how to do sort of uh, medieval dancing and stuff it was just amazing she cast me as the nurse in Romeo and Juliet which I absolutely loved I was Malvolio in Twelfth Night I got to do all and and also what that means now is when I go into rooms I mean I work for the BBC and the Church of England predominantly people who are privately educated and what that means when I go into those rooms now I can talk about some of the stuff that they talk about and I can talk about it with confidence and I can I can speak a language that I did not speak before and Meg drew something out of me. Also means when I stand at the communion table and I'm breaking bread and I'm pouring out wine and I'm saying, this is my body, and I have to pretend to be Jesus, I can draw down all that training that I had. And it did not occur to me until I stepped into my presenter shoes, until I stepped into my ordination shoes, that actually Meg formed me and some of the friendships that I've had for life. Now, the reason that Meg can't understand that I am so grateful to her is that she's developed dementia and she is non-communicative now and so a couple of years ago we had a youth theatre reunion and there was Meg sat in her chair and we sang for her we sang some of the songs that she taught us and we said some of the words that she taught us and she smiled and was present for just a few moments. And dementia is such a horrible illness that robs people of their life before they're dead. It's horrible. And so I would do anything to be able to say to her how grateful I was and how grateful I am for the skills that I draw down on every single day. The nicest thing about the story is that you would never have got that. And the saddest thing is that that just doesn't exist anymore like that just doesn't no, it, it doesn't you know and my first paid piece of work was somebody phoned Meg up from Radio 4 and said we need a regional accent for a, an afternoon play on Radio 4 and Meg sent me along to the audition and I did an audition for Radio 4 when I was 13 and I got on Radio 4 and then I did a play for ITV when I was 15 and I had all these experiences that I would never have left my own front doorstep, Jess, if it hadn't have been for that because I would never have seen a hall. I went down to that big London to broadcasting house and stayed in a hotel and got paid, you know, got paid for a job and it was, I think it was like 150 quid, it was more money than I'd ever... I, could ever think of you know and it set me in really good stead but yeah it's really sad that those things just don't exist anymore 
Yeah, they just don't exist, especially in that sort of slightly paternalistic bohemian state that uh, you're describing. I went, I, <laughs> I went to a thing at a place called uh, All Saints Church in Birmingham that was literally called Women's Liberation Playgroup. That was literally the, exactly the same women who, uh, and most of the time, we would just spend our time making banners for Greenham Common. Greenham Common was very, very important at the time, but it is that that idea that there were collectives of people doing things with a little bit of money from the council or from like some some sort form of collective endeavor cooperatives there's a lot of stuff uh, and and the faith communities definitely provide this sort of but it wasn't it wasn't a charity it was funded i learned so many different skills and it was very right on you know it was you know we i remember dressing up as gawain and the green knight in the middle of sheffield high street in fargate while women are going past with their trolleys to go to market to pick up the black pudding and the tribe are going hey what are you doing love and i'm going oh therefore forsooth and right now I, I thought i was something i wasn't but it was great and I had such a great time oh how awful that you you know you can't let her know how much she changed your life I think as well oh look at me with all my face (laughs) I like to think she does I think she knows I think that people like Meg and you meet them all the time you meet people who just want to like you know make things better for ordinary people I think people like Meg deep down in their hearts know and they're doing it and they get sucker from the fact that they're doing it and well she never had a family she never you know she never found someone that she wanted to spend the whole life with she never had children because we were we were a family that's what we did she was there every day with this ragtaggle bunch of 50 or so kids trying to get them to do Shakespeare I can't think of and we took ourselves ever so seriously you know main stage of the crucible doing Prospero at like 12 years old or whatever I thought I was the dogs I was like do you know what I mean I, I, I remember we didn't have school uniform in Sheffield in the 1980s because again all right on and all that sort of stuff so I remember going to the charity shops and buying like big overcoats and trilbies because I was so bohemian I mean did you ever get to be Titania because that is the only there's only one speech in Shakespeare that I know and it is a speech by Titania it's, it's that one I always wanted to be Kate in Taming of the Shrew of course I did except for the last bit we like to skip over the last bit where she says it's all about the boys that is the best one though Taming of the Shrew obviously Shakespeare's from my neck of the woods so I think he would have sounded like me yeah well so they say yeah that's what well I'm not entirely sure I mean (laughs) I'm not entirely sure he was that cracking to his wives didn't he leave he left his wife his second best bed in the will that's what he left her that's right second best bed like where did the first one go that is that story is either apocryphal yeah well that's begs that's what the question begs where's your first best bed gone Shakespeare um so how would you sign off the letter to Meg Meg I had such fun at youth theatre. I learned about hard work and determination, how to mop a floor and how to play Prosper on the main stage of the Crucible Theatre. Thank you for helping me find my confidence. The skills you've taught me are used every single day. I know that because of dementia, you don't remember me anymore, but I could never forget you. Love, Kate. So lovely. So the letters that you have written to your amazing women friends so that's joe tony and kate telling them exactly how you wouldn't be able to cope without them and you hope that they feel that about you although i'm sure that you're certain that they do the letter you wrote to david in the hope that he could see you as you are today and know that you carried on with his legacy and the thank you letter to meg who can't remember you but you want to say a thank you for the opportunity to be who you are today so how do you feel now that you've written these letters and did anything about putting them together surprise you I thought they'd be really difficult to write but actually once you get started on these kind of things it's instinctive and it just reminds me again that it's really important to say the things that I want to say to the people I want to say them to. Even if they're not here anymore, you know, that there's something really valuable in writing this stuff down because texts disappear, social media posts disappear, phone calls, you won't remember them. But those letters, they are treasure. It's like treasure. Mm. When you find them... It's like treasure. I found uh, a letter. My mum died 10 years ago. And about the third year after she died, I found... I mean, it wasn't a particularly loving letter. It was teaching me how to make a Christmas pudding. (laughs) Um, And 
the passwords for her Google account. I found a letter in a handbag and it was just like, oh, hi, Jep. Like, don't forget to buy this, this and this. And and it just was like finding treasure, finding my mum's handwriting and her bossing me around and being the person she had been to me was like finding treasure. It is like, it is our handwriting as well, isn't it? Because there's something about that that's like a fingerprint of our personality. When you get a handwritten letter, you know that someone's taken the time. When someone sends a handwritten letter, for me, it always reminds me of handwriting practice at school. You know the journey they've been on to get to that point to be able to hold that pen and write that letter. And the effort it takes to put a stamp on it and go to the post box. Letters are treasure. They can be such a small and easy to access thing. Never as expensive as a diamond, but very richly received. Absolutely. So, well, thank you so much, Kate, for sharing your letters. You're so welcome. A delight. Oh, to it's talk a pleasure. To you. Honestly, a pleasure is all mine. <laughs> I feel like we had the same upbringing at the same. We, we came across the same women in the same batik hangings. Yeah. Uh, and the same and had a very similar experience hey some of these people wouldn't know a meat raffle it hit hit them at face (laughs) I went somewhere the other day and there was a meat raffle going on and I was like this is so retro I love a meat raffle I think there's a TV series in uh, Working Men's Club of Our Childhood I, you know, going back, going around with tombolas, I used to love a tombola. The Treasury is currently pretending that it's moving to Wolverhampton and I'm going to write a sitcom (laughs) about Rishi Sunak living in Will and Hall in Wolverhampton. <laughs> down at Bilston Market. Genius. <laughs> just, just Brilliant. so funny. Having cockles on a plate with vinegar. <laughs> exactly, just like this is so funny. It's not happening, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. It was a total pleasure. I'm going for a swim now in the lake. I'm going to throw myself in a lake. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends, telling them all about this podcast? You can also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.